Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Your iTunes reviews help Pantsuit Politics move up the rankings, which spreads our love of nuance far and wide. Plus, being called the Oprahs of Nuance made my life. So please take a few minutes and leave a review by searching Pantsuit Politics in the podcast app and clicking the Reviews tab. So I'm here with Megan Hart, the illustrious founder of the Pantsuit Politics Book Club. Megan, why did you decide to do a Pantsuit Politics Book Club? Oh, I'm just such a huge bookworm. And someone brought it up on Twitter. And they're like, why don't we have one? And I was like, yes, this why, is Why this don't is we moment. have one? <laughs> and so I think I made a Goodreads group within like the next 10 minutes and was just like, yes, this is happening. <laughs> So excited. And we already have 200 members in the book club group. It's so amazing. Which unbelievable to me. So exciting. So how did we pick the first? Well, first of all, obviously, I think this is a fantastic idea. I'm also a uh, bookworm, but Beth and I only have so much bandwidth. So the idea that you, you just took it upon yourself and picked books. Amazing. I'm also a person <laughs> highly motivated by external deadlines. So um, <laughs> having one more book club just makes me read even more, which I love. And you picked a fantastic book for um, the first month. Tell us how you picked it and about the book. Yeah, absolutely. So what I 
what I did when I started the book club was basically I wanted to hear what everyone wanted to do. So I, I made two discussion threads of one was what are your ideas for the book club? And the other one was what ideas for books do you have? And the response was, was pretty overwhelming, to be honest, of so many people had so many good ideas. And Strangers in Their Own Land was something that kept getting repeated. And then when any person saw it, they were like, oh, let's do that one. Let's do that one. And the same thing for Hillbilly Elegy. Um, so we went with Strangers in Their Own Land for the first book based on the poll in the Goodreads group. I think Strangers, I, I texted this to my friend Leslie. I said, I think Strangers in the, Their Own Land is the book you wanted Hillbilly Elegy to be. Have you read both? I have not. I have not read Hillbilly Elegy yet. So I Hillbilly Elegy is really good. I really loved it. Um, but it's very memoir-based, and he is hesitant to make um, sort of broad generalizations and takeaways. I think you can feel his hesitation in doing that because it is a uh, memoir. But Strangers in Their Own Land, Anger and Mourning on the American Right, is by Arlie Russell Hothschild. Now, I knew her. She's a renowned sociologist, and as a women's studies minor, we read The Second Shift. That's the so I would say that's the book that made her famous. Have you uh, okay. read The Second Shift? I have not yet. It's fantastic. It's about how women work. As women join the workforce, all they did is worked during the day and then came home and did all the stuff they used to do during the day at stay-at-home moms at night. So they did The Second Shift. So I was already familiar with her work and reading um, this book, like the structure is very similar. Like she does a very good job of feeling like, you know, the people she's following and also um, like pulling out the big analysis underneath it. So in Strangers in Their Own Land, I'm just going to read the little uh, instruction. Uh, Arlie Hothschild embarks on a thought-provoking journey from her liberal hometown of Berkeley, California, deep into Louisiana Bayou Country, a stronghold of the conservative right. As she gets to know people who strongly oppose many of the ideas she famously champions, Hothschild nevertheless finds common ground and quickly warms to the people she meets, among them a Tea Party activist whose town has been swallowed by a sinkhole caused by a drilling accident, people whose concerns are actually ones that all Americans share, the desire for community, the embrace of family, and hopes for their children. Strangers in Their Own Land goes beyond the commonplace liberal idea that these are people who have been duped into voting against their own interest. Instead, Hothschild finds lives ripped apart by stagnant wages, a loss of home, an elusive American dream, and political choices and views that make sense in the context of their lives. Hothschild draws on her expert knowledge of the sociology of emotion to help us understand what it feels like to live in red America. Along the way, she finds answers to one of the critical questions of contemporary American politics. Why do, people, why do the people who seem to benefit the most from liberal government intervention abhor the very idea? so good so good and i i she talked she references and i think the um even the intro speaks to i think this is sort of the the natural um sequel to what's the matter with kansas is that the name of the book what's the matter with kansas the idea that red states vote against their economic interest and she sort of comes along and she talks about how she like totes that book around and says yeah because people don't vote but vote solely on their economic interests it's just not what they do yep so what did you think about like did you come into the book with that that um argument in your the back of your brain the idea that like oh why do that well you know it seems so irrational the way these people are voting absolutely absolutely and i uh it I mean, it's hard to admit that to myself and others <laughs> uh, that that is kind of where I was coming from. Um, I'm a I'm a Democrat personally, and so it's um, I was having a hard time grasping kind of the 
the thought process behind it of, you know, whether or not I thought it was rational or, or logical for me, I just couldn't put myself in that shoes to even figure out the thought process to lead them to those conclusions. Mm -hmm. So I thought that this book, I honestly thought the first half was kind of slow. Yeah. But then once I got to, um, the deep story, which on the group discussion online, everyone said, you know, this is an amazing chapter. I realized why we met all the people in the first half of the book, because that the deep story really wouldn't have made sense. Well, she so spends a lot of the good. first part. Uh, she has all these sort of terms of phrase she uses. And the one is the empathy wall. So tell everybody what an empathy wall. Is. Yeah. Oh, that was so fascinating. So she was basically talking about the wall, or I guess my interpretation of it was she's coming into these discussions and she recognized that she was separated by these individuals and the way they thought by this wall. And she was kind of talking about the empathy wall of how do I, how do I come to an emotional understanding? Maybe if I don't logically understand, how do I emotionally understand and empathize with these other viewpoints and these people. And then it's, it becomes not just a wall, but like crossing the empathy wall and making sure that you're conscious of your own empathy wall during those conversations. So right. That's how like, I, so it's this, you know, I, it, it, I think that in the past, when we feel frustration or confusion um, at the beliefs of other people, in our heads, at least this is what I did. I would think, oh, why would somebody, why would anyone ever believe that? And instead of thinking like, well, there is an obstacle. What is the obstacle to my inability to understand where they're coming from? Where is, what is the obstacle to my inability to empathize with that point of view? I just thought, well, they don't understand. Like they don't have the right information. They don't have the right facts. And you know, if we could just, and I think that's sort of the basis for what's the, what's the wrong, what's the matter with Kansas? Like, oh no, well, if we just explain to you that it's against your economic interest and we just enlighten you and illuminate all these missing details, then suddenly you'll be rational like us. And I think what she does a good job of saying is like, facts have not built the empathy wall here. Like that's not yes. the obstacle to us understanding each other is not missing information. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is 
fake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I was gonna. I was about to talk about the the deep story, but do you think that's a spoiler alert for the book? No, no, I don't. But I do think. I think so. You. I think you have to start with the empathy wall, and then I think the other thing she spends a lot of time before she dives into the deep story is the great paradox. And so, do you yeah. want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so the the thing that she focuses on in the book is on, I wasn't really expecting it. Uh, I like to know personally, if I get recommended a book, I like to know as little as possible about it so that I can just go in it with an empty mind. So I was not aware that she took a focus for environmental. Yeah. Um, I was activism. Either. I didn't know yeah. Louisiana was such a dang dumping ground either. I would agree with that. Yes. I was not ready for any of that. I mean, I think I understood loosely that the, um, marshlands were in danger because of encroaching coastlines and I sort of I had a loose you know obviously I was in New Orleans actually when uh, the Deep Horizon spill happened and so like I definitely understood that but I did not I did not have a comprehension for I guess I just didn't think they're like okay well all this oil flows out of Louisiana and then they bring it right back to the coast and process it all and turning oil into plastic is not a clean business. <laughs> you know, it's not a absolutely easy process. It's a process that involves a massive amount of chemicals, a massive amount of chemical waste. And I just hadn't thought through um, the implications environmentally, not just of the pumping of the oil, but of the processing of the oil once it comes back on shore. Yeah, absolutely. And in the first half of the book, before you kind of get into what she calls the deep story, when she's talking about the Great Paradox, I was... Um, I was emotionally upset for these people mm-hmm. that they were having to deal with this um, terrible situation. It just their homes are basically being ripped from them because of because of this industry and and how the environment is being treated. But the great um, paradox is that they're not that upset. I mean, exactly. if they are, they're not blaming they're blaming the government 
which is sort of, again, empathy wall. Yes. So difficult to put yourself in a place where you understand someone's um, willingness to, she talks about sort of that there is a forgetting of sort of past events, but she is there during um, an event that happened. So she is there. I don't know if she's there. It's just happened when this big scene call opens up um, mm-hmm. in this one bayou where she knows a lot of um, Tea Party activists. First of all, scene calls are my worst nightmare. It's like a, it is like a horror film. The earth swallows you up. I think they're terrifying. Blech. I also have a fear of scene calls. It's like this big nightmare for me. Oh, what a terrible, awful thing. So I, I have to, I did get talked down from the ledge when there was a big sinkhole that opened up at the Corvette plant near me in Kentucky. But apparently that's like the caves. That's near Mammoth Cave. We're far enough from the cave. I had a couple architects and geologists sort of had to talk me down from the ledge. But anyway, <laughs> uh, sinkhole scary. So, but this, this paradox of people that benefit from the federal government, you know, Red State's taking a lot of money from the federal government, but they hate the federal government. The paradox of... Um, an embrace of free market industry when that free market and industry is not just like polluting in a sort of abstract way, in a very concrete, yep. personally impactful, everybody I know dies of cancer kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. And then it was, uh, she goes from there, she even talks about like specific candidates and um, specific platforms that they're running on, whether it be uh, the governor or at a federal level. And she's talking about, you know, well, you're sitting here telling me that you've lost your home and and you're losing your loved ones because of this um, pollution and this environmental crisis, basically. And here are the people you voted for. And here's where they stand Mm -hmm. on saving the environment. And those two things did not match up at all. So like the great paradox went all the way to that level, which I thought was interesting. So then, so she's struggling with this paradox, the great paradox and an empathy wall that can't help her, that is sort of an obstacle blocking her from understanding why this paradox exists, this hatred of a government that you take a lot of money from, this hatred of a government, of regulation when you suffer the effects of deregulation um, in your own direct environment. And that's when she moves into the deep story. And I don't think it's a... um, Spoiler, mainly because I've listened to several podcasts where she comes on and spells it out exactly. But okay, (laughs) so um, she talks about a deep story, which is I think this is great. She says a deep story is a feels as if story. It's the story feelings tell in the language of symbols. So it's when she says this is the deep story of these people, she does not mean this is the facts that happen to them. She means this is the the world they feel and you can't really argue somebody out of their feelings. Exactly. You can't tell people their emotion is wrong. Mm -hmm. That they feel that they live in. And so the, the deep story is um, in a nutshell, sort of the idea that you're standing in this line and the American dream is over the hill and you are a caring person and you are, but you're really dedicated to staying in line and you've worked hard to stay in line And so you sort of um, put your guard up against requests for sympathy. You don't want line cutters. And then all of a sudden people start cutting you in line and be it because of their race or their gender or um, their immigration story. And that and they sort of she does this thing like where the supervisor of the line is President Obama. And he it seems like he is advocating for people, the people cutting the line like he 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 wants you to sympathize with the people cutting the line, but it's not fair. They shouldn't have been cutting the line. And that 
you were told if you followed the rules and you stayed in the line, you would have a piece of the American dream. But in reality, your wages are stagnating, stagnating and there's more competition because people are being allowed to, quote unquote, cut the line. And um, so there's just this deep sense of frustration and unfairness with the fact that the line that people are cutting you in line and that you are not getting the the sort of the dream, the American dream, the reward that you were promised. And I, the part of the deep story that I really connected with me, even more than the line cutting, which I think is, I mean, these, it's as if my, the constant conversations I've had with my father were like written down and just sent it to me and be like, this is what he's trying to say. And I've been like, I mean, it made so sense. It was not a shocking revelation to me because okay, I do feel like I've felt this from my father and my stepfather. Like we did what we were supposed to do. And People are asking us to feel sorry for people we don't want to feel sorry for. And particularly the idea, and I had, I guess what she helped me do for the first time though. Well, before I say this, so what did you think about that aspect of the deep story? Oh, it was, for me, it was very illuminating. Um, I also have members of my family, um, such as yourself, um, but uh, that kind of think along these lines. Um, but I am not able to kind of have a conversation, um, with that individual. Um, so this was very illuminating. I'm just, I'm trying to put into words kind of, kind of how it helped me. I almost feel like she was talking about the individuals that were waiting in line. They were kind of saying, Hey, what about me? Mm-hmm. Kind of. Well, you know, and I think what really but, got me was not the aspect of waiting in line, but the idea that there's no honor in being a white, male, middle-class individual anymore. And what I mean is, and I, I, I really connected with that for the first time. I, I think I've had people make this argument to me, but I really didn't feel it on a deep level. But like, you know, I identify strongly as a woman. I love being a part of that identity group. I feel passionately about the rights that affect women. And even though I think that, you know, so much of this is sort of in it, but there is an honor and there is an identity to be found and empowerment if you are a um, marginalized group, right? Mm-hmm. So there, like, there's a lot of soci- really interesting sociology on the strong identity felt among African-Americans. And if you are an immigrant, um, the identity that you might find in the immigrant identity. I mean, look at Hamilton. Look at the strong identity found immigrants would get the job done, right? Like this strong, powerful, positive empowerment within these identity groups, be it LGBT or women or minorities. And... I thought about how many times this kind of makes me emotional. Like I thought about how many times I've rolled my eyes and sort of scoffed at the desperate um, identity that people like my dad try to find. Right. So like if it's just patriotic, we all sort of rose, roll our eyes because it just feels sort of trite and it's not it's not quote unquote based on anything. Um, it always rings sort of shallow. And you can't identify as masculine, you know, this identity as a masculine, you know, masculinity is threatening to so many groups. And um, I do feel like it's limiting. And, you know, I, pr- I push so hard about against that as a mother of sons. And I just think about sort of my dad and these men in my lives and how they really don't have much to 
stand on. They don't have a place to occupy and feel empowered and feel like there is worth in this part of myself that I identify with and there is sort of cultural value and societal respect and how hard that must be. Like for the first time, I just thought that sucks. Like That must be really hard because, you know, there is some for, for men, for highly educated men, our, our society values that and there's a cultural value to that. And um, there's always, well, you know, there's privilege to be found in sort of wealth. Um, But otherwise, you know, you couldn't outwardly say, like, I have, you know, I have honor and um, pride in my whiteness because everybody would call you a racist. And you couldn't say, I'm proud to be in my masculine identity because people do and will call you, you know, a sexist. And so all that what's what's left? What is left? Yep. It has an interesting tie to kind of the conversations that happen around um, women's rights and the uh, the feminist movement, where the conversations are, um, and, and my husband had said something very similar to me of, you know, he goes, I know that the movement that you're so passionate about, about women's rights is not meant to exclude men, but sometimes the way it is communicated makes you, makes you feel excluded type thing. And he and I were discussing something that we read of why aren't we um, advocating or at the same level for white men. And the the post online was, well, in Mario Kart, you don't get a green shell if you're in first place. Mm-hmm. And my husband Ben has such a good point. He goes, that, that doesn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. He said, just because, and this is, it's just so complicated of just because I am a white male doesn't mean that I shouldn't be advocated for because there are other individuals that need help so and I feel like that's kind of what she was getting at of just these people are saying what about me I've kind of followed what I thought was right and just because I'm a white male shouldn't detract from my place in the line for the American dream does that make any sense yeah and that's what I mean I think that's what she says too it's the, the title it's like they feel like strangers in their own land if you were born in the 50s and every cultural message you got sent was that being a white male at the head of a family was the, you know, number one position. And now slowly the culture says, well, um, first of all, heterosexuality is not the norm. And if you value that above others, you're homophobic. And right. also women need to work. And so if you're the primary bed- breadwinner, well, then you're sexist because you think women should be home. Oh, and by the way, it you know, your wages are going to stagnate and the idea that you would build this wealth upon which your sort of honor and societal standing could be rested. Nope. And you could be a primary breadwinner without going to college, except for now, only thing we value is people with higher education. So that's a no-go too. And if you are religious, well, now, and you have like this moral upstanding um sort of placing your values within a religious framework. Well, no, that's kind of gauche too. Like being absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, we've just chipped away at every single place on which um, you could sort of rest your identity. And I think what really struck me, and I think this is a a natural um, consequence of that is this idea, like throughout the book, she tell people will say like, I know liberals want me to feel sorry for this group or this group or this group, but I don't. And that doesn't make me a bad person. And that's the part I really struggled with. Like, and I I sort of touched that on the last episode, like, you know, what if as a country, 
we thought that our values were give us your tired, give us your weak, give us your poor, but that there's a huge population of the of Americans that say, I don't value that. I don't value helping refugee children. That's not my values. And I don't value sticking like that hard part where that woman was like, if poor people, if poor children starve, like, so what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, like, I struggled with that as well. Yeah. Like what, it, what, what, what do we do then? What do we do if really we can't agree on these most basic things that we want to protect poor children? Because these people feel like you're asking me to feel sorry and know for all these other groups but no one's feeling sorry for me. Like, I don't, I don't know. I think there's just all these, like, you know, she talks about how, you know, when Nixon passed, passed the Clean Air and the Clean Water Act, nobody voted against it. But now we can't even agree on protecting our natural resources. No, the, oh, no, that's not even American value. No, the national, these people feel like the national park should be privatized, except for, like, the Grand Canyon. You know, I don't, it's tough. It's like, it's has this, this, this cultural shift you know, it's, I guess it's like a uh, hierarchy of needs. If you don't feel like your own identity is valued in the culture, then why should you give a shit about anybody else? Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um, and I thought the, the I think there were three, the last appendix that she does um, to kind of like build off of that is how, how do we agree on basic things that we as a country care about? And then beyond that, we're not even agreeing on facts. So I thought her last appendix where she said, here are like common phrases that I heard a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, like She regarding- references that. It's almost passive aggressive because she'd be like, they said this. Yes. P.S. Check Appendix C. Yeah. <laughs> P.S. Check Appendix C. <laughs> but again, but I, I mean, like nobody's going to really say like. We're not even talking I about the same facts. Yeah. and I, But I don't know. I don't think that's. Like I said, I don't know where we go if these sort of fundamental American values of we don't want children to starve because their parents are poor and we don't want refugees to die because they're being, I mean, the whole thing about like my family was Confederates and when we were occupied, we fought back and suffered and maybe they should just stay in Syria and fight. Like uh, just, it's not even to me. The, when she really went after the emotional part of it, I think that it, it, opened up for me for the first time that it's not even that we can't agree on facts. It's that we can't agree on basic American principles and values, which are we protect the minority. We're not going to let, you know, we have a social safety net. So people that are poor or born in circumstances beyond their control don't starve to death on our watch. And we welcome, um, you know, refugees whose country where in which countries they're being persecuted and we protect our natural resources and everybody has a right to clean air and clean water and the free market doesn't rule. I mean, like, if we can't agree on those things. Mm. You're right. We're not even talking the same. We're not, not even in the same ballpark of conversation then. No. And it's not that I'm not sympathetic to, like I said, to the emotions that uh, got these people to that place. And maybe if we could, you know, work on that so that they don't feel so culturally threatened and society you know societally devalued perhaps we could have a different conversation but I just I don't you know Beth and I always talk constantly like well what what's our common goal if we don't have common American values we don't let children starve because their parents are poor we protect our natural resources we welcome those persecuted abroad I don't 
I, I honestly, what's holding us together? Yep. And that was the biggest, like my biggest takeaway from the book was I read this book and I was like, okay, I have a better understanding of the emotional side. She's really talking about their understanding someone's emotional story and respecting them for it. But I finished the book and I was like, well, what now? Mm-hmm. Like there has to be a next step where how do we go from respecting individuals, emotional, um, opinions and, you know, expecting and understanding that people are going to have different stories and different opinions. Well, there has to be a next step in order for us to kind of move forward. And we need to be, I agree with you, agreement on basic, basic American, American values and basic facts, I think is the next step. I have no idea how to get there. Yeah, I don't either. And I think, you know, I will say that there was a lot of it that I thought, you know, if, if we could have, like, I, I thought a lot about it as a Democrat, like we need, the, the reason Bill Clinton worked is because he understood people's, the, he understood the South's emotional story. Like, I don't, I really think that's a key component of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought about sort of the sorting and this idea that people on the coast look up the ladder and people on the in the middle of the country look down the ladder and resent the people, poor people at the bottom. And I thought, doesn't that make sense? Because that's who you're living around, right? If you're living in the deep South, you don't have run-ins with the top 1%. But if you live in New York City, you might not be like sharing an elevator with them, but you see it. You see their wealth, right? You see the top percentage of the, you're living among them in a way someone in Mississippi or Louisiana or even Kentucky really is not. And so it makes sense that, like, what you see is the framework in which you can orient yourself. Although, I, I mean, I guess you're still seeing the top 1% in culture. But, you know, it's limited beyond no. your own reality. But, I, I mean. Yeah. I think that that kind of, um, that lens with which you see it, something else that struck me of is if you're seeing something through that lens, it seemed like they were seeing the actions of the federal government in this just completely different way than I was seeing, where something that really struck me is, in my opinion, personally contradictory, was one of the interviews that she did was talking to an individual who was, you know, saying, these are my beliefs. I believe in a man and woman for marriage, um, you know, very uh, conventional Christian beliefs, and then was talking about, you know, we shouldn't mandate anything at the federal government level. And my kind of response to that was the federal government isn't telling you what you can, you know, what you can and cannot do with your personal life. It's just giving everyone the right to live as they want to. And the individual being interviewed said that very, very bluntly was, you know, I don't care how people live their lives. They can do whatever they want. Just let me do what I want. Mm-hmm. And kind of, and they don't feel they that. Saw, and that's a cultural thing, right yes. though. They don't feel like the fact that my friend's husband feels threatened that he might have to perform gay marriages is not a legal problem. It's a cultural problem. Yes. It's And they feel that and they are right. They are right. The culture has changed and it is no longer acceptable to believe that traditional marriage is superior. It just isn't. So, you know, they're not wrong in that aspect. Do they feel judged? Yes, because they are being judged because we've decided as a society that traditional marriage is not superior to gay marriage. We just, we have. And I don't know what to tell those people. I'm sorry. You can't put Pandora back in the box. Um, like, I, I think that 
there needs to be with the most appropriate sort of um, cultural reference as possible, a come to Jesus moment. Like you will not drag the culture back down with you. Like, I'm, right. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. So I don't like, I, I don't know what's going to fix that or make, make people feel um, because you would think like, you know, alleviating some of the economic concerns on healthcare and, you know, at least addressing some of the massive concerns in 2008 and alleviating some of the economic pressure would allow people a little more breathing room, but it just doesn't seem like it has. It doesn't seem like they've, you know, when, when the, the vice is not so tight that they could, um, loosen up the blame, but you know, it's still so, it's still a story. The story really hasn't, the deep story is not changing. And I, I get, I mean, I have to believe there is a way to, I mean, maybe the idea that as long as people feel this deep story, no, I don't know how we move forward. So maybe the next step is not um, dealing with people as they are, but, you know, building a road out of that deep story, creating a new narrative um, that changes that deep story. I think that... um, an increasing economic pressure from our global economy with regards to automation and ever shrinking jobs is going to make that probably harder before it makes it that easier. Yeah. But I guess the first step to changing the story is understanding it. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. 
Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I just think the part of that changing the narrative, I think it's got to be a a better understanding on both sides of what the country as a whole is trying to accomplish. Um, so it just it kind of I guess I had always assumed um, that if an individual is against gay rights, um, against abortion, they had these very uh, strict conventional Christian views um, that didn't allow any wiggle room. I had always assumed that they just didn't want anyone to live in a way that they weren't personally living. And I guess the revelation in the book for me was they, some of them don't care. A lot of them don't care. They just want to live their own life and let that world be what it is. And other people can do something different. And I guess the thing that struck me the most was they're seeing the government saying, nope, we're all going to live this way. Um, we're all, we're going to be accepting of everybody. So you're right. I don't know how you, how you consolidate those two things of people saying we want to stay in our own bubble, but the bubble is within a country that says we are moving forward. So mm-hmm. how, how do you bring those together? I mean, it's not like we don't have groups within the United States of America that really fight the cultural norms you know the Amish certain sects of Mormons like it's not like we don't have people who are like uh uh-uh, uh I'm not going I will go there and no, no further but they're so they're so um I mean I think a big difference with particularly the Amish is they're so um economically isolated and culturally isolated. I mean it's like if you don't want to go that way then you're going to have to find a lot more ways than just turning in only to Fox News to culturally isolate yourself, right? Absolutely. So. And I think another another big difference would be I think for some of the other groups that are saying we are going to live kind of our own way that might be different than the way the country is moving, I feel like they are they're not as they don't put such a big wall between themselves and others that they choose to make a personal choice to live a certain way, but they, they let other people live how they want to. And kind of the narrative from the book that I was getting was these are how we live and the government has to protect that instead of the government 
can protect the country and we can choose to live a certain way. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that's totally true. And I, I mean, I think you're right. I think it's not like the Amish are out there um, lobbying legislatively for everybody to feel the same way as the Amish do. But I think right. that also that uh, the Amish identity is one not necessarily attacked culturally. It stands in that's opposition to the culture. But you don't have huge swaths of the country being like, ugh, those Amish. I mean, people write, like, romance books about the Amish. You know what I mean? Like, people are into it. Um, so I, I think that's a big two. There's a, there's a protected identity that you can find um, honor in. That The lack of honor really, really got to me. Like, the idea that there's nothing honorable about being a middle class or working class white male Christian anymore like that really struck me I don't think she's wrong about that and I agree and I don't think that's I think that's not just problematic to all of us but that's unfair that sucks like (laughs) you shouldn't feel that your country finds no value in your identity anymore like that's a terrible feeling like I don't want black people to feel like that I don't want women to feel like that I don't want my dad to feel like that and I think that's how people feel but I think part of it is what you say, because um, there's no space. I, but I guess, too, the problem is, right, that that cultural, that identity, um, they got sold a cultural bill of goods. They didn't get sold. They, they were told, you know, the men of my dad's generation were told, you, not only is there honor in this identity, but it is the superior identity. Right. Like yep. they, it, it was that it's better. Not only is it good, but it's better. It's better to be yep. a white male provide breadwinning working man. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the, the thing that for me, some of the things that they talked about of they're tired of they're tired of the condescension of let me be who I am without speaking to me in only condescension ways and something, a quote that I thought was interesting was they said, you know, we don't like when people use derogatory terms. Why do you call me a redneck? Why is that okay? If I live different than you. And I thought that was kind of going back to the, I want to feel honor and who I am, even if you don't agree with it or live the same way. Right. Right. And it's, mm, yeah. And I, I, I don't, I don't know the answer because I don't want to go back to that's the better way to be, that it's better to be man and it's a better to be a white man. And, you know, there is an entitlement to this argument that really bothers me. Oh, I absolutely agree. But I think we have to find space for both things. Like we have to find space to let it be okay to say, "Uh uh-uh, there's like no entitlement here, but also recognize the pain of feeling like you've lost honor in our culture and our society. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, it's like, <laughs> at the same place. I just I want to be like, you know, go back and watch all the Oprah's. The Oprah's will help you. She will help you see <laughs> that there is a source of, you know, there is a source of value outside sort of the cultural markers, like just to find a little, space it's not like there are aren't men out there that fit that bill that you know have strong sources of identity and self-worth um but i think a lot of men that have found that sort of space is is just anecdotally in my own life are men who 
sort of abandoned the cultural message about that identity and was like, you know what? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if that if it if it makes me happy, but it doesn't fill sort of the traditional roles that that we've defined, then I'm not going to fight that. I'm just going to let it go. Yep. Uh, the uh, we had an individual on the message board. Uh, Lee had a really good quote, and he said, "I seem to feel these people are being taken advantage of, but simultaneously realize that they would find my distress condescending." Yeah. And like that's, that's so just true. like the delicate line of. How do we talk with these individuals and have productive conversations to move things forward without sitting here saying either side, without either side saying that they are superior than the other? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer. (laughs) Arlie, why didn't you give us all the answers? Well, we, I still highly recommend the book. I think it is an incredibly um, thought provoking and, um, thoughtful book so it's still there's still time you can read it we're not going to like shut down the group but do you have ideas for what we might be reading for march yes i think the group selected hillbilly elegy actually good i've already read that one good i got a lot of other things to read march that works out well yeah and then we have uh the discussion boards um i'll be adding discussion boards for each different book and then we've had some individuals say that they're interested in helping me moderate yeah so uh you know quick plug to you know help put some information out there. We would love to see your comments and love for you to participate online. So it's on Goodreads and there's a link on our website and make sure and read Hillbilly Elegy for March. And maybe it could be you on our next Pantsuit Politics book club episode. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, Megan. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you to our producer, Nicholas Holland, and to our Chief Creative Officer, Dante Lima, for all the work they do to make Pantsuit Politics possible, and to all of you for making this community so special. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics, or Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Please leave us your feedback and send us your ideas for show topics and Pantsuit Primers on social media, or you can email us at sarah at or beth at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.